you guys want to go ahead and open up to Second Peter chapter 1, um, that'll be the first passage we look at here in a few minutes. Um, our theme passage, Second Peter chapter 1. Um, we're looking at uh, partaking of the divine nature and the fact that that's um, it's inconceivable sometimes to think that like we can partake of the nature of divinity with all the limitations we have with all the things that are not divine about us um, the things that we fight but that that's actually the design God has for us um, he gave us his image in creation and we we twisted it into our image and then he's given us the image of his image again through his son right the express image of God so that we can be remade into that image his goal from the whole beginning is to have to have children um, and he wants us to partake of, of that divine nature and we're going through this list that Peter gives in his second letter you know of what the things that we add to our faith because of that and at the end of that list is love in verse um, 7 you know not reading the list again right but finishing up in in second peter 1 verse 7 and in your godliness add brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness add love or supplement love um, we could stay here for six hours talking about love from a scriptural perspective. Um, we could do word studies on the different ways the word is used in the Old Testament in Hebrew and in the New Testament. And um, Instead, I decided to take a very short tack with this um, because sometimes shorter lessons leave more of an impact um, and maybe cause us to go do some reading and study on our own about love. So that's, that's going to be my approach. Um, I asked James to read 1 Corinthians 13 because I, I didn't want to take the time to read the whole chapter, but we are going to go back and refer to it here in just a little bit. Instead, um, another kind of unusual thing for me, I want to start with a, a story. And it's, uh, it's not fiction. This is, this is a true story I lived through, but I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent and the guilty. Um, the, it's about a brother, uh, I'm going to call him Joe, um, who just got under my skin. I mean, and not even, he, he wasn't trying to. It was just Joe being Joe really, not just irritated me like, you know, but he just did things that made me angry. Said things that made me angry. And I was trying to, I was like, okay, I've got to treat him like a brother. I've got to be kind. I've got to, I've got to love this brother. But I also knew of this other couple. We're going to call them Paul and Sue. I've got to remember all these names. Because <laughs> they are made up. Right. Joe, right, is this brother who just drives me crazy. Then there's this couple, Paul and Sue, that, yeah, you know them, um, that... They would do a lot for Joe as well. I mean, way more than I did. I sort of helped Joe out out of duty. 
Like I knew I was supposed to be a brother. And I got to do this and I'm going to do it and I'm going to like it. <laughs> and I never liked it. But Paul and Sue, like when I would talk to them about it, I, I would kind of go to them like I wanted to commiserate. Like, hey, you guys are going through the same thing I'm going through. And, and their comment was, all, was always, you know, you know, one or the other was along the lines of, yeah, he can be kind of harsh or, you know, yeah, you know, maybe, you know, maybe one day he'll appreciate it or something like that. And I was just like, that was very not fulfilling for me. <laughs> I want you to complain about him to me. Help me feel justified. Um, and I remember, you know, Joe, Joe is uh, not with us anymore. Joe is, Joe's passed on. And I remember one time, not long before he passed on, I, I mean, I didn't think he was close to death or anything, but I remember saying to, to Sue, I said, me being around him is turning me into something I don't like as a way of complaining about him. And, you know, of course, her comment was, again, very kind and just, you know, well, I know it's hard, you know, kind of push through. And at the funeral, at Joe's funeral, Paul was asked to say something at the funeral, right? Because he had spent a lot of time helping Joe bearing the brunt. Oh, and I want to tell you one more thing. Another thing that set me off. Joe would complain about Paul and Sue to me <laughs> and how they weren't meeting his expectations and how when they did something for him it wasn't done right. And I almost lost my temper on multiple occasions with him over that. But anyway, at, 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 so, so uh, of course, in my mind, right, they're bearing a worse brunt than I am, right? They're doing more for him, and behind their back, he's complaining about them. And, but at, at, so at, at the funeral, uh, Paul was asked to say something, and I think it was, to, yeah, it was to say something and maybe lead a prayer. He could not speak straight words because he was crying so hard. And it shocked me. I, I was sad when Joe passed, but I had turned him into a burden on myself. Right? Paul had turned him into a blessing in his life. He, he was weeping so hard he could not, he couldn't speak straight at the funeral after all the abuse that Joe had given to him and his wife in front of them and behind their backs. Now, I, and I don't want to you know, give you this impression that you know, Joe was some malicious, mean person. He, he really wasn't malicious. He was just super, super immature, right? In my, my, my opinion. He wasn't trying to attack people and he just being, right? He was just a gruff, hard person who was also immature. But that example of Paul and Sue 
and their service to Joe through that for me was when I first started like understand what love is among people I mean we can look at Jesus on the cross and say that's God's love for man and yeah Jesus says you know you should do that for your brethren but man that's that's easy to say and hard to like see and talk about and do well when I saw Paul crying at the funeral the way he was I spent the rest of that funeral trying to figure out why I wasn't crying like that It was my decisions in the past that had set me up for that response, and his decisions had set him up for that response. Right? And the reason I say decisions is because of the text we just read. Add to your faith that, 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 love. It's a decision. You either do it or you don't do it. I hadn't done it. Right? I had added, you know, maybe patience and maybe not. And maybe kindness and maybe not. But it, it was, it certainly wasn't the love that I saw in Paul and Sue. Maybe it was a more immature love. I hadn't matured, right? You know, I'm looking at, at Joe and thinking, oh, he's so immature. <laughs> it's really, when I, if I had been looking at, Paul and Sue, I've been saying, oh man, I'm so immature. You see how it works, right? Um, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of love I wanted to talk about just really just for a few minutes is the love that doesn't necessarily give you a return on the investment. Not the way you think about it, right? Anyway, so let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. I only wanted to read that one verse in 2 Peter 1. Um, to remind us. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And again, James read it. We're not going to read all of this. But, you know, I wanted to say, like, if this story of Paul and Sue and, and Joe had been like a Hallmark movie, right, there would have been some kind of return on the investment, you know. Joe would have come around and, you know, kind of you know, done something for their kids or, you know, I don't know, whatever, right? You, you pour all of this love into somebody and what you expect at the end of the movie is that person changes and flourishes and, hey, you know, we've got this great relationship now. Well, that didn't happen. It's not a Hallmark movie. It's, it's actual life. It's what really happens in life. Is you pour love into people because you're pouring love into people. And that's the only because there is. You may want them to change. That's great. You, I, mean, and I mean change in a good way. Like become more spiritual, get closer to God. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. But that isn't why you pour love into people. You pour love into people because it's poured into you to the extent that it's overflowing you. It's the only reason. It's the only reason. I mean, let's look in 1 Corinthians 16. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13. Look in, look in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. I'm moving through these quickly because you see there's nothing there that says love returns this to you. Love is patient because then they'll learn patience and they'll be patient toward you. It's not what it says. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. I'm sorry. Uh, 
does not act beyond man cunningly. Verse 5, uh, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Uh, that's a hard one for me. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. That's an easy one for me. If I'm surrounded by unrighteousness, like, I'm not happy. Right? So just because it's easy doesn't mean that that's the only part of love I'm supposed to express. Rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Yeah, I, I don't do that. <laughs> right? I do not bear all things. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. Like that, for me, that's an embarrassment. I don't, and I should. Love believes all things. This isn't believing every single thing that's told you. It's believing all things can happen, right? The worst of the worst can be saved. Believe all things, right? Hopes all things, endures all things. Um, you know, my point is, there's not, there's not something there about investing these things so that you get a return from that person. Um, but I think there is something mentioned in this text about a return. And I want to be careful with this because I think it's the same kind of return we read in 2 Peter chapter 1. Right? We're partaking of the divine nature and we're adding these things because we're partaking of the divine nature. Let's look in, in, further up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. This is Paul, right? He's talking about himself. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Well, right? The necessary inference is if he's doing those things with love, then he's something more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? So there's a return. You've gone from this noisy gong to something more substantial. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Necessary inferences, if he does those things with love, he is something. Verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Necessary implication. If I do those things with love, I do profit. But it's not the profit the world talks about. It's not the profit in the Hallmark movies. right? I'm pouring love into this person, and therefore this person begins to love me back. And it feels great. We've got this relationship. Happy ending. Sometimes that happens. That's why those movies are there. Because right? people have seen that happen. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying this is why you, you love people so that this relationship gets great and you get a happy ending. He just says you do it, right? But the return, I think, is in the prophet is in Second Peter chapter 1. We partake of the divine nature when we love. It does profit us. We partake of the divine nature. Now, to me, this, this is amazing, right? Because God builds this whole structure, right? He makes us in his image such that we can't actually partake of the divine nature selfishly. I'm going to love because I get to be like God, and I just want to be like God, and I really hate you, but I want to be like God, so I'm going to love you. <laughs> right? You're automatically not partaking of the divine nature. 
So you can't actually go after the profit that God has for you selfishly. You have to actually really love the way God loves to get the profit that Paul's talking about in verse 3. To get the divine nature that Peter's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 1. And it is a decision. I had decided that my response and my relationship with Joe was going to be based on duty and responsibility. And it didn't profit me. I didn't profit from that. I still look back on that on many of my interactions with him with regret. But Paul and Sue wept at the separation they had with this crusty person, hard to be around person, wept at the separation like God would weep at the separation in judgment if he had to be separated. Because it profited them. They, they gained some of the divine nature because of the way they loved Joe. So, I want to say it this way. There's really no return on investment or profit to us the way the world would think of it, the way the world would define it. And in fact, there's no guaranteed profit or return on investment from that individual who's receiving your love ever. It's not guaranteed. Right? But there is profit in that you partake of the divine nature. You become more like God every time you get an opportunity to exercise that love muscle. Right? Um, so, what we see from 1 Corinthians 13 is that we can be something, we can profit something if we have love. It's the divine nature that's the profit. Um, you know, the Bible also speaks, though, of what the loved one gains. Um, James actually read one of these verses, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Um, it's it said in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Um, you know, fleshly Richard thinks, well, if I show love, I can sin. <laughs> that's what that means. Well, that's, that's absolutely not what that means. The loved one is the one whose sins are getting covered by your love. All the wrongs that they've done to you, are getting covered. Now you're not you're not in the place of God. You're not you're not interceding. You're not you're not right. God forgives sin against Him, right? But the sins against you are covered when you love that person. I I, I can tell you, when Paul was up there crying at the funeral, he, he wasn't recounting all of the injuries that Joe had done against him and his wife, the things that he had said, because those had been covered. They were covered over. Not because Joe was so lovable or he loved back. Because Paul and Sue had loved so much that their love just covered over all of those sins. That's what the loved, the loved person does receive something. 
I mean, yeah, when we, when we are shown love, we have an emotional response, right? We think of that first, I think, as humans, right? And we think, okay, that's what I'm receiving. No, I mean, yeah, you're receiving that, but that's really just your response to something. You're actually receiving forgiveness from that person, right? You're receiving an example from that person. You're receiving uh, insight into the divine nature, if you want to say it, you know, theologically, I guess. Why does that person showing me so much love? I mean, maybe, maybe Joe asked that question one day. Maybe he never did. It doesn't matter. But if the loved person ever asks that question, why do they keep showing this kind of love to me? Right? They gain something in that. They receive something. They do profit from that. And I, I want to couple James 5 with this, right? James 5, 19 and 20. You know, at the end of his... His letter, he says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I just found it interesting that James doesn't mention love covering a multitude of sins. He mentions turning a brother from error is covering a multitude of sins. Well, that is love. That's an expression of love. If, if you see me going down some path where I am in error against God's word, then if you turn me from that, that's love. Even if you bring it up to me, maybe I don't turn. Right? That's love. But if you just say, well, you know what? Richard's a big boy. Well, that's hate. That's actually saying Richard is, is in rebellion against God's word. And he's not worth me saying anything to. Or my discomfort with it. or what, I don't know how to say it. You know, whatever the excuse is, right? What James is saying is you rescue a brother. And you cover all kinds. I think he's talking about their future sin. You cover all kinds of potential problems. For that brother, when you when you go to him and say you need to turn from this, this is not right. This is not holy. This is not God's way. You need to turn. Well, that is love. So really, I think it, you know putting those verses together, the loved one, if everything works the way supposed to, right? The loved one gains a restored relationship with us and ultimately with God, right? They repent. Again, that's that might be closer to the way the world would define you know, getting something out of love. Right? But, but here, here's how you think about it. We're pouring love into a person. We're pouring love into a person. And what that person gains, if they respond to it, is a restored relationship. That has to be our desire if we're going to pour love into people the right way. It can't be something else. Like, well, maybe they'll just be nicer. Or, you know, maybe... Right? They'll just stop calling me. (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, we come up with all these things like, I'm going to do this for this person to get this response. And really what the desire has to be is, I want a spiritual, scriptural, godly relationship with this person as my brother or sister, and I want them to have a relationship with God, and I'm going to keep loving them to push through to that, that end. Any other motivation is going to corrupt love. It's going to turn it into something else. It's going to turn it into duty, responsibility. Um, it's going to turn it into cordiality, right? Well, I'm cordial with this person. I'm never mean, right? Love. I want to look at one more one more passage. First John chapter 3. Cuz we've we've said the word a lot like love 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 love. Okay, well what I mean like what is it? I mean, how do you do it? Again, we could spend 5 or 6 hours talking about all of the ways to manifest love, right? But I want to look at 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 which states we know love by this, or your translation, by this we know love. But well, by what? That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Really what John is saying is... <clears throat> if, if you're having trouble defining love or trying to figure out what's really loving and what's not loving... Well, just ask yourself, am I laying down my life for this person in some way? Right? It's not like pushing them out from in front of a train or a bus. right? I mean, that might in an instant be necessary at some point. right? But it's a continual thing. Like, is, is, is my life more important than theirs? Right? If it is, then my priorities are going to take or my desires are going to take priority over theirs. Jesus' desires did not take priority over you. We know what his desire was. He stated it in the garden. Father, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. Right? He had two fighting desires. I don't want to do this. I do want to do this. Well, we have to decide what does God want for our brethren around us. And what it costs us to provide that is what love is. It cost Jesus his life, his physical. Well, it cost him way more than that. It cost him coming down here and be surrounded by sin and hypocrisy for 33 years and countenancing it and being slapped in the face, Right? And not striking out. And then allowing that same creation to kill him. To pay for their own sins against him. Right? So, that's what it, co- it costs, right? Well, what does it cost you to lay down your life for your brethren? Um, it should cost something. I mean, it's a pretty, it, it sounds like a pretty steep price laid down our lives for the brethren. 
it, it can't it can't be something along the lines of well you know I'm, I I I stick around another ten minutes on Sunday to be around these people that I just can't stand, and that's what it costs me to love them. Right, I mean, sometimes honestly, sometimes that's what people justify as love, and maybe that's your first step. <laughs> I mean, I was there. I remember thinking, like, man, why in the world am I still here in church in this church building when I am starving to death? I need to get out of here and get some food, and these people can see me next week. Like, right? these people can see me. You hear that, right? I mean, that might be the first step to love, right? But it needs to cost you more than, than that. That's not laying down your life. Right? That's all I wanted to say. We need to think about love profiting us in, a sense, in the sense of we can partake of the divine nature when we express love the way God loves. Not out of duty, responsibility, or anything else. We need to think about the profit the loved one gains, which is a restored relationship with us and hopefully a restored relationship with God. And we need to think about how to express love, how to show love. Because it needs to cost us something if we're going to stand before God and say, I laid down my life for the brethren. And you know I did. Because he knows whether we did or not. If you... If you haven't accepted the love that God has expressed, it doesn't do you any good to sort of practice the mechanics. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, like if, if you're sitting in a car and it doesn't have any fuel in it, it doesn't do you any good to shift through the gears and learn how to shift gears really well. You're not going anywhere <laughs> without gas in that tank. Faith is the fuel that gives motion to God's grace. Right? You have to respond in faith. So if you need to accept that love and, and be brought into a relationship with him, let these people, someone in this room, know. We can study the Bible, answer questions, whatever needs to happen. Baptize you if you understand what baptism is for and the commitment that you're making when you do that. Anyone else who here is struggling with love and needs help, needs prayers, just needs to talk, please let us let us know. Um, Blake's going to stand and lead us in a song to help us think about those needs and how to respond uh, to those needs. Let's stand and sing.